So last night, the wife and I are having an argument. Paul, Wayne, I, you know, you, both of you being married men, I, I think you you understand that, you know, there's sometimes, you, you know, the argument isn't going to resolve itself. And so yeah. you're looking for a way. How do we transition out of the argument? And so you're just looking for any opportunity. How do we transition? Like, so we're driving along and I am I am looking for my opportunity because bear in mind, the argument started at the restaurant, continued to the car. The car ones are the worst because you can't just go walk a dog or exactly. Exactly. Or you can't go. I got to go to the bathroom or something, <laughs> you know, and go read a comic. <laughs> but uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm scanning about as we're driving along last night. What am I going to use? What how am I getting out of this? And I look over and I said, um, is that a midget or a kid? (laughs) (laughs) And I tell you, no one should ever minimize the ability to, to point to someone and say, is it a midget or a kid as a way to get out of an argument? Cause completely derailed the argument. We've spent the next 20 minutes going, I think it's a midget. I just ran our asses off the road. <laughs> so I just crashed this bitch into the river. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that as well. <laughs> if it works. Then Aaron crawls out of the car and tweets, my wife says I have a temper. Piss me off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I've actually been on the radio one time. I was uh, There's a local radio station that does a, basically they do a sweet 16 where they have two items and then they vote. And they were doing the Sweet 16 of the best midgets of all time. And I get on the phone. I'm I'm actually a tiebreaker, and I have to make the choice between midget wrestling and midget porn. Yeah, that, that's hard. Of course, that's a real so selfish choice there. I actually had the chance to say on the radio, well, I've got to go with midget porn. <laughs> How many people can say that they've said that on the radio? <laughs> you know, this is about the sixth conversation I've had about midgets this week for some reason. <laughs> well, because I got an article the other day um, from a friend of mine who's actually afraid of midgets. And uh, she, apparently there's a theme park in China that is entirely populated by midgets. And they reenact fairy tales and dress as fairy tale characters and all that. It's a real thing. Look it up. So I, I said, good. Put them all in the same area and lock them up. <laughs> God, <Unlock> Paul. The- <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I would be horrified, but at the same time, fascinated. Yeah, You know, uh, this reminds me of a conversation I was having a few months ago uh, with my cousin because uh, there was this Korean midget who wanted to sleep with him. And I'm like, He's like, he's like, I just can't do it. I'm like, dude, you have to. Absolutely. Like, you can't pass up that opportunity. Not only is it a midget, but it's an Asian chick. 
Those are like two of my fantasies right there. That's right. Let me live vicariously through you. Like you have to do it just to say that you could do that. You did it. That you could tell the story, man. Well, and having heard a recent episode of Kicked in the Dice Bags, he also needs to video it for you. Yes, that is, that is true. Uh, you know, every time I see a midget, I try to talk to him to see if there's a Canadian accent. I'm thinking Puck the whole time, but I've never run into a Canadian midget yet. See, every time I see a midget, I just kind of want to kick them a little bit and see if they give me their pot of gold. God, this is so awful. It is. I, I can't. I can't see a midget without thinking about uh, that prostitute from Total Recall. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> so, I'm uh, Jonathan should have been recording this. He could have released this as a kicked in the dice bag. <laughs> So, uh, comics. Hey, you know what? Before we go into this week's books, because we forgot to put it on in our outline, I, I just want everyone in the listening audience to know, first wave is a waste of money. All right, we can oh, continue now. Yeah, the, the the new series from DC, which has got, you know, Doc Savage and The Spirit and those guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, the one that I said I wasn't going to buy, but I bought it anyway. Oh, Paul. Yeah, and I, I was so ashamed of it. That I, I said, I'll just give it to my dad because he likes the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'd harass you about that, but I still buy the ultimate stuff every week and still complain about that. So <laughs> I guess I have no room to talk. No, you, you've none. No room for you. So uh, we didn't really have any Siege books this week, but we do have a couple of books that kind of tie into Siege. And the first of which is uh, The Invincible Iron Man number 24. Yep. Did, did we all read that one? I did. Yes. Yeah. So what do you boys think? John, I kind of torn. I mean, I don't know if I hate, dislike, or kind of don't care about how they had him wake up. (laughs) I mean, it's going to be one of those things where I think we'll see what happens in the next few issues, but the, uh, and spoiler alert if anyone hasn't read it yet, the idea that he doesn't remember anything from after from before Civil War, like the time period from Civil War at least up to now. Yeah. I don't know if that's really lame or if that has a lot of potential. I think really lame. I thought it was lame. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm leaning towards lame, but it's I'm just kind of waiting to see what they do with it. Well, I that's my problem. I think they're not going to do anything with it. I think they're using it as a way to have this fresh start post-siege just like Steve Rogers doesn't remember any of that crap either, you know, because he wasn't there for it. You know, this is just going to kind of be a way of, all right, heroic age begins. Everybody's getting along because no one remembers all the shit that happened in the last two years. Uh, let me clarify, because I've not been reading the Captain America stuff. The Captain America doesn't remember Dark Reign because he wasn't there for it, but he still remembers Civil War, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, well, you know, I mean, it, I, I don't know. It's never 100% clarified in captain america reborn what he remembers he's uh-huh. just but and you know i'm not reading captain america to know okay because so. i i, well, think I would this say, is... i would say based on uh the first trade of thor he remembers he's talking to thor on ghost form oh no. obi-wan kenobi style <laughs> <laughs> i forgot about that story <laughs> Well, yeah, I think you know, this is cheap. This reminds me of Brand New Day a little bit. You know, it's, it's you know, let's erase the parts that that uh, make the story more complex. 
you know, and, and that's what I like about it is that the story is complex. And I, I just, you know, they, they wrote Tony Stark into this thing where Tony Stark was kind of an ass and almost kind of a villain in his own universe. When you compare him to some of the other heroes, I think he's got to be accountable for that. And I would like for the character himself to be accountable for it, you know, as opposed to being able to cop out and go, well, I don't remember any of that. Wouldn't me. (laughs) (laughs) That was my different brain. This is my other brain. I'm wondering if they're going to spend the next year or so having him basically be ashamed of himself and trying to, you know, trying to make up for everything that he doesn't remember having done, or if they're just going to go that route of, well, I don't remember. It didn't happen. Now, in terms of pacing, this issue should have happened last issue, in my opinion. I, I really don't see much of a reason for, for issue 23. I think they could have made 23 and 24 and compressed them into both. Yeah, they dragged out the coma way too long. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you guys see the glaring issue in this issue? <laughs> <laughs> and and what would that be? Well, the fact that uh, uh, last week, I believe, uh, we discussed the whole thing with the ghost showing up on Asgard. Yes, I noticed that. And he looked like you guys ass kicked, and then... When you read this issue, it does not explain that. Yeah, I didn't see that. Well, for because Jonathan and I read Thunderbolts last week, it looks like fresh off of his fight with Tony Stark, Ghost is transported to Asgard, and for some reason he does like a noble thing and calls the new the Mighty Avengers in. But you know, like I didn't get that impression from reading this comic at all that that was what Ghost was going to do. It, it, it just it, it totally didn't flow with what happened in Thunderbolts. Hmm. And um, I don't know. I mean, this issue just kind of was like, you know, there were all these weird dream sequences that really, I mean, after four issues of weird dream sequences, do we really need another one? Right. The only thing I can say about this issue that actually impressed me was the Doctor Strange scene where he kicks Ghost's ass. Oh, yeah. I, I, I really liked the way Doctor Strange was portrayed in this issue. Yeah, That's it, funny because I don't remember Doctor Strange kicking Ghost's ass. I remember this. My <laughs> name's Ghost. I'm a ghost. Boo. Yeah, but you see, I really enjoyed the part where Master of Mystic and Martial Arts. You know? He wasn't able to complete the words. <laughs> ghost was able to throw out all his lines. Well, he was able, to get, all, he was able to get out. Dr. Strange. Martial and Mystic Arts, and then he got his ass handed to him. I believe it was Misty Arts. <laughs> Misty. Go back and look. It was Misty. I had to read it twice just to make sure. I got Master of Mystic. Mystic. I got. Uh, there's a C on mine. Yeah, on mine too. Well, you guys obviously didn't get the right copy of Iron Man. <laughs> well, it's because you know you're getting yours from El Camino Comics, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting Iron Man with like a Y in it. it, it it's the the cheap imitation Iron Man number twenty four. Well, I thought the artwork was beautiful here. I uh, the uh, Laroca art is just amazing. I, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it when oh, yeah. when there's actually some non dream sequence stuff kind of going on. I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward to that because the 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 artwork, the coloring, uh, very nice. Well, and, and I'm going to throw this out there. Oops, sorry. Go ahead. 
Well, the only other thing I'd add is that, you know, I, I have enjoyed Doctor Strange in the pages of Invincible Iron Man. I just wish that I enjoyed Doctor Strange in his own book. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. I'm going to throw it out there. Matt Fraction needs to write a Doctor Strange title. I absolutely agree. I and needs to have somebody like LaRocca doing the artwork on it. Well, yeah. I mean, we don't know. I mean, we don't know how the misty hands of Dr. Strange are <laughs> Like, that book might be good. <laughs> oh, you're it's, right. You're right. I would probably pick it up. It comes out next week, actually, I think. But, uh, I, I mean, I like the way – if there's one thing I took out of this arc, which I did not like, uh, com- you know, total um, overall, is that Matt Fraction writes a good Dr. Strange. Yeah, he yeah, does. Speak, speaking of Fraction, I think I was the only one that actually read it because I hadn't read it originally. I picked up that uh, the free issue of Invincible Iron Man this week that was a reprint of, I think it's his first story on the title. And I really enjoyed that. I want to go looking for trade paperbacks from that because that first arc looked like it was really good. Yeah. If you compare uh, Disassembled to uh, World's Most Wanted, I think that World's Most Wanted was a much stronger arc. Yeah, I'll agree with that. World's Most Wanted was was fantastic. Uh, that's that's the arc that kind of brought me into Iron Man. Um, and in fact, if if you do pick up that free issue of uh, Invincible Iron Man number one, that free reprint, at the back uh, they have actually um, a trade paperback edition that collects every issue of Iron Man up to Disassembled. Um, all in one hardcover book, and uh, it says the cover price is forty bucks, but it's twenty-seven bucks on Amazon.com. So twenty-seven bucks for twenty issues worth of Iron Man in a hardcover—that's pretty good that's deal. Totally worth it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, another siege-related book, but not does not have the siege banner, is the Mighty Avengers uh, number thirty-four. And uh, yeah, boy, I dislike this book a lot. Yeah, I just have to ask, you know, Dan Slott, what the hell happened? Yeah, I I, I love this book, and but this issue was awful. Well, you know, and, and I had not been reading Mighty Avengers, but I picked up the previous two issues that had Norman Osborn with the Cosmic Cube and really liked both of those. So I eagerly anticipated picking up this book, and wow, I hated it. I hated it a lot. It was bad, bad, bad. Wayne, did you yeah, read this, this one? book? This book was awful. No, and after hearing this, I'm glad I didn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, what'd you think? I I thought it was awful. I just horrid. Like it it it's on it's on the top of my list of worst book of the year so far. Really? <clears throat> Easily. It, wh- it was it was awful. And what didn't you like about it? Uh. <laughs> the story, <laughs> uh, you know, because the the artwork, you know, this is what this seemed like a throwback issue to me. I don't know if you guys agree with this, but when I'm reading, when I was reading it, I was like, this seems like, you know, when you pick up like a an old '80s comic book and you read it, that's what this felt like to me. And it looks that way, which I don't mind, but it read that way, which I do. Yeah, <laughs> but you know what? The art on this issue sucked. Yeah, absolutely. Well, know, 80s I, art did suck. <laughs> true, but the art in the last for this entire run has been relatively decent, and then the two-part story arc before this was actually quite good. 
but the art in this was atrocious. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, there's one thing, there's only one thing I liked about this issue and it's that Hank Pym offered Loki a, a position on his Avengers team. Which, oh no, come on, dude, <clears throat> that was gay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, of course right. it fractures no, his team because- for a guy who's supposed to be so smart. I mean, you've got people running to get away from him. You know, I mean, you know, Amadeus Cho, you know, hauling ass. I'm out of here. I'm out. Pim's lost it. Because because it was so obvious what they were doing, man. They're, they're breaking up the Mighty Avengers. And so this is how they do it? Yeah, I thought that was like, kind of really? cheap. Because we know Mighty Avengers is going to end after Siege. You know, after all the buildup of this team, it seems really kind of cheap that this is the way they're going to destroy you know they're going to disband the team by doing something crappy like like this right right i you know i i didn't care for the story and for the fact that i don't think they made a strong enough case that if um loki is being held against his will that thor who has been exiled from asgard is going to come running to his nemesis brother nemesis brother's aid why would he do that? I don't get that. Well, and not only that, is it really that big of a deal that they capture Loki? I mean, why would that piss Thor off? Loki's exactly. a villain. Yeah, Loki's a bad guy. He's always been a bad guy. Why is he – I don't understand why Thor took such personal affront that uh, you know Pym was able to do that. Yeah, I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I, just, I don't think they ever made their case in the story – on you know Thor's indignation as to what was going on. I mean, if from my perspective, you know, the 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 point they they made was that well, you know, Thor is upset because you know mortals are trying to figure out how to get over on gods. And I'm like, well, why the hell wouldn't mortals try and figure that out? Because gods are always getting over on mortals, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and and in particularly Loki, you know, who has screwed with the Avengers from the get go. I don't get yeah, it. I just. Uh, I I totally didn't, and I don't know who to blame. I don't know if to blame the fact that this was just a bad issue or if it was totally derailed by siege and editorial mandate. Either way, they they had such a good thing going with Mighty Avengers, and this issue was just horrendous. Yeah. One of the worst things was Quicksilver in this book. Like, did did that just seem out of character to you guys? I was like, this is not the same character I've been reading up to this point in this book. Yeah, you know, I thought like, they had worked over hard to redeem it. Yeah, I mean, didn't he redeem himself after House of M? Why is he like this? I don't know. Uh, well, I think, I think again, I, I think this was all just like, this is what we want to happen moving forward. So, in this one filler issue, before they're they're siege banner book they're gonna you know have a, just a, a weird decision by Hank Pym suddenly split the team then fought alongside they're like oh that's it and Quicksilver you know I think they're they're gonna push him back into a more a more uh, sort of villain role mm-hmm. uh, going into the heroic age and I think this is what sets that in motion I agree well Speaking of bad decisions, Justice League Cry for Justice number seven came out. And I decided to buy it. (laughs) And that was the bad decision, Paul? 
that was the bad decision. But you know, look well, at the yeah, I didn't read everything. This book, but I saw. What was that? I didn't read this book, but I saw articles about it and uh, saw where they're going after this, and I, I'm kind of curious to hear about the book. Well, uh, first off, let's just say cover is beautiful. First page is beautiful, and it goes to shit from there. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because it really does. They have like two or three different artists on this thing. Yeah. Was and, it a beautiful piece of shit? Well, no, because I, well, it's a beautifully wrapped piece of shit. How about that? <laughs> because really, <laughs> the 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 cover, the first page, and then you got to flip all the way to the end of the book. What is it? Is I think it's the second to the last page. Yeah, second to the last page and last page of the story are back to beautiful. Because and and which artist is it? Paul? Is it Cascioli? Yeah, that's Mauro Cascioli. And his st- he is who started the book, and I guess he got slow, so they had to bring in additional artists to, to bring the book in. And his work is just stunning. And so earlier in this in this seven-issue series, when the story wasn't doing it for me, at least the artwork was. And so you know, you've got these other guys who are trying to ape his style, and they're just not doing a successful job on it at all. I mean – at all. But you know what? Even if Mauro Cascioli had drawn the entire issue, this would have been an absolutely horrid, oh. horrid issue. Well, and, and okay, so let's talk about the book. Um, the bad guy in the book has been Prometheus, who has always been, you know, a B or even C level villain. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not buying the fact that he's able to get over on the Justice League like this. Um, yeah. He has rigged up. I agree. <laughs> he has rigged up, uh, you know, ex- uh, destruction devices. I don't know if you can call them bombs or not. Destruction devices in all of the hero cities. And so the big thing that happens at the end of the book is that, you know, Prometheus has been captured and he tells him, you guys got to let me go or all your cities are going to be destroyed. And essentially he destroys Green Arrow's Star City. And how many people did they say died in Star City? Uh was it ninety thousand? Was it ninety thousand survived or ninety thousand died? I think ninety thousand died. Ninety thousand lost souls. Yeah, ninety thousand people yeah. died in Star City, and I didn't buy it. I mean, I, when Coast City was destroyed way back when uh, in the the reign of the Superman, uh, I got that. I mean, I, 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 you know, you felt like the the destruction was genuine. You felt like the loss of life was genuine. And I never got the sense that this was really happening. You know, it, it just it, it didn't seem as it doesn't seem like the story tangibly convinced the reader that this was happening. Yeah. And, you know, as part of the destruction of the city, um, Roy Harper's daughter, uh, Green Arrow's oh. granddaughter, dies. Yeah. And that's kind of a big um, deal. And I, I didn't feel the weight of that either. Yeah, I mean, everything about this issue, I mean, you know, the, we talked about how impactful Rory Harper losing his arm was and how great that scene. That it was, was one of our best scene scenes of 2009. You know, that was, one of, that was one of the scenes that we said was one of the best of 2009. Exactly. But this scene in the same miniseries was handled so poorly. I mean, it's the death of a child. Mm-hmm. And it's done so poorly, you know, and so just like, okay, it happened, you know, move on. But the... Uh... Paul. Yes. You know what will cause you know what uh 
the effect is for the death of a child and the destruction of a city? Uh, I don't know. A cry for justice. <laughs> <laughs> it all makes sense to me. <laughs> and this is why Jonathan wow. should be reading DC Comics. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, this it was this book was a train wreck. I mean, I, I don't know how this went off the rails so hard, but God, it was terrible. Well, you know, I think they tried to make they tried to give this the impact of another identity crisis. Yeah. Okay. That that this it's totally obvious that this book was meant to be the new identity crisis because they had a fight scene like the Deathstroke fight scene from Identity Crisis. They tried to build up this character Prometheus like they built up Doctor Light. This is totally meant to be the new identity crisis, and it sucked. It yeah. absolutely sucked. You know, and they they stole Green Arrow, Green Lantern's Coast City storyline. Yeah. You know, and so now. Uh, spoilers on, like we haven't spoiled already everything about this book, um, which it doesn't really flow with what's going on in Justice League of America. Um, Green Arrow has murdered Prometheus in cold blood. Yes. Which is leading into the rise and fall of Green Arrow or whatever the hell it is, or the fall of Green Arrow and the rise of Arsenal. Either way, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. I'm done with Justice League. I have no interest in this Green Arrow storyline. I just saw it. I was happy that his character was redeemed. You know, when Kevin Smith brought him back, he, it hasn't been that long since he came back as a good character. Mm -hmm. And now they're screwing him up again. I'm done. Yeah. Well, yeah. Marvel has a green character falling, so I guess they have to as well. Me too. That I buy another Justice League title. <laughs> this book sucked so bad. I, I'm I'm just disgusted at you know having having been so excited about it when it first started, um, and having it end so poorly. And and you know they they made the story so key to what's going on, and they didn't get it out on time. I'm just blech, very unhappy about that one. So you're dead to me. I don't know how Justice. could be failing. I don't know how DC could be failing so much with Justice League. I mean, for a long time, that was one of my favorite titles. And now everything they do with Justice League, the main book has a team that I just don't care about. Cry for Justice didn't hook me at all, with the exception of that one scene we, you know, we talked about with Roy. I don't know what they're, what the, you know, what's in their heads right now. But well, and the sad thing is, with the new Justice League team, there are some viable good members on the team. But you know what? I mean, I, I just and you know, agreeing with your point. How do you f up the Justice League? Yeah, this bad. Well, and you know, I don't know about you guys, but I like the character of Arsenal. And while I thought that uh, you know ripping his arm off was kind of an interesting thing, I think it's a mistake to kill his kid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 his kid has been around in the in the universe for a while now, and that was actually one of the things I liked about him is that he, his character was interested in not just being you know cool superhero who sleeps with all the pretty ladies, but also being the guy who's a good father. And you have so few of those kinds of characters in, in, in comic books at all. Um, it was nice to have him filling that role. And now you don't. Yeah. Well, yeah. in addition to that, I mean, it's just I, – I don't understand why they have to retrograde these characters to these single characters. <laughs> you know, why can't they be married? Why can't they have kids? Yeah. Uh, it, it, I just uh, – 
you know, he grew as a character, and whenever someone grows as a character, they should either progress, and he had, he had progressed to become Red Arrow, yeah. or at some point the comic company realizes, oh wait, let's take it all back, yeah, and well, turn him into a kid again. And let's ask this question: Why do we have to destroy Star City? Yet again, because bear in mind, in uh, the earlier issues of Green Arrow, after his return, you know, you had the one year later thing where there was the big wall in Star City and Star City was divided. And you had, you know, the the, the side of the wall that was, you know, very much like uh, uh, No Man's Land in Gotham, that <laughs> there was no law there. And then you had the, the, the outside of the wall where all, all the all the, uh, you know, affluent people were. So, you know, this is really kind of a story that we've seen in Star City. Why are we doing it again? Because that story was only a couple of years ago. Yeah, you know, I'd, that forgotten long. A, I'd forgotten about that because I just try to uh, forget about all of one year later. It was, such, <laughs> it was so hyped and I was actually looking forward to some of the titles. And I would say I was 98% disappointed with everything that came out with the one year later. But I will banner. say Green Arrow one year later was one of them that I liked. Yeah, Green Arrow but, rocked. Uh, Judd Winnick was on the title. Green Arrow was mayor, or Oliver Queen was mayor of Star City. And it was all about him taking down that wall and bringing the city together. You know, they had worked really hard for that. I mean, literally just a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, I like Green Arrow being some a little bit of a morally ambiguous hero. I don't like him being a murderer. I, I think this is the well, wrong way to go with it. And we've seen him do that before. I mean, that was yeah. the whole, you know, uh, longbow hunters and, you know, I... I this is an, a, a green arrow we've seen. Why would you take him back there? You know, I, I, I really think that we've got come a long way in redeeming Oliver Queen, you know, since his resurrection. I don't think this is a road we ought to be going down again. I think this is a mistake. But, but I will say it's completely believable that he would have done what he did to Prometheus after having seen what Prometheus did to Roy and, you know, that Prometheus, uh, uh, caused the death of his granddaughter. But that said, I just don't think this is a road we should have gone down. Yeah. Well, honestly, when it boils down to it, they should have just killed Speedy, honestly, instead of Liam. I think Speedy's had her character arc. I think Speedy, I would have rather seen Speedy die than Liam. You know, I was thinking the same thing. It would have been a good time to finally finish her off. See, and I like Speedy. I like Speedy, but you know, I mean, she hasn't done anything in forever. So, I mean, just, just killer yeah, yeah. I, I i well you know i would you're certainly what you're going to see with her character she's going to have a bunch of emotional baggage now because she was the one responsible for watching uh leanne yeah you know yeah. i'm just not interested in that story i'm not interested oh i'm not either i'm not either I, I i i this whole storyline i'm not interested in so yeah. but you know i haven't bought green arrow in probably you know six months i doubt that it'll be, I'm sure it'll be a while before I buy any Green Arrow based on what we've seen out of Cry for Justice. Well, reusing Wayne's transition from about five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> the Green Arrow isn't the only green character falling because the the Hulk, I was about to say the Falk. Um, the Hulk is still falling. All of the Hulks are still falling in Fall of the Hulks over at Marvel. Um, a new Fall of the Hulk book book came out this week um savage she hulks number one which i think may be just about the first book i've bought with the word she hulk on the cover ever (laughs) good for you paul i know good for you doing something for the environment (laughs) (laughs) um 
but in this storyline, this is very much a continuation of what Jeff Parker is doing in his follow the Hulk, follow the Hulk's red Hulk book. So you, you can't just buy this book and not buy the others. It's very closely tied in with all of the follow the Hulk's books. This series, I don't know what the hell. I mean, I guess I'm glad that I'm dropping so many other crappy titles. And I'm glad that Justice League Cry for Justice is over, you know, uh, because I, I had no intentions of ever buying Hulk again. But damn, I am really enjoying Follow the Hulk's storyline. Savage She-Hulks, you know, it's written by Jeff Parker with art by Salvador Espin. It, it's it's great. It's a lot of fun. I, I really liked it. You know, it, it's it's a Hulk storyline without a lot of, you know, like, like we just talked about with the other books with all the emotional baggage and things like that. This is just a fun storyline. There's lots of action. There's lots of intrigue going on. I'm just really enjoying it. And uh, so I, I know if you're not picking up all the Hulks, there's kind of no reason <laughs> to pick this one up. But uh, if you've been picking them up and you were hesitating on this one, cause it says she Hulk on the cover, um, you know, don't it's great. You, you've 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 convinced me, Paul. Do it, really? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> not, not really. <laughs> uh, so, staying in the theme of green, we have uh, Green Hornet number one from Dynamite Comics, which is Kevin Smith's take on Green Hornet. And if I understand correctly, this is actually what he ha- was proposing in the movie script that he was writing. Yes. And uh, so that came out this week. Now, I I have to be honest. I don't know a lot about Green Hornet other than, uh, you know, I knew that Bruce Lee was Kato. And, you know, I've seen a few episodes. But but if I were to tell you that I have watched five television episodes of the Green Hornet, I think that would be a gross exaggeration. Yeah, Um, I watched the crossover they did with Batman. And that was about it for TV wise. Yeah, I see. I I actually have to say I have seen every episode of the Green Hornet TV series. Really? Wow! I absolutely love the Green Hornet as a character. I love Bad that, that boy. <laughs> 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 uh, the Green Hornet is one of my favorite underutilized characters. I like. I guess I like characters with trench coats and top hats. Maybe that's just my thing. It's hey, a fedora. A fedora. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> is that your comic fetish, Paul? That's my comic fetish. I I would be much more interested in the character if it was a top hat. i think that's what would really make the character for me there you go okay so i think all four of us read this one yes and jonathan read it so i'm very curious to see what jonathan thought of his non-marvel purchase this week all right well based on the fact that no one has said anything is this everybody's book of the week because i know it's mine well you know what i guess it is actually yeah, but I don't know how much of that is the actual book and everything else that came out. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going. Golly, that can't be right. But yeah, everything else was crap. So uh, yeah, this must be my book of the week. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys so like? I thought this was, I thought this was really good. I thought it was a good book too. And what when I sat down to read it, I had caught a couple of things on Twitter where people were talking about how much they hated it. And I was like, oh, God, you know, I'm, I, and I had already read I had already read Mighty Avengers. I had already read uh, Justice League Cry for Justice. 
And I was like, I don't know if I can read another crappy book today. <laughs> you know, and fortunately, <laughs> this book was a pleasant surprise. I really enjoyed what I read. And the only reason I hesitate to say that it was uh, my book of the week was because it's a first issue. Yeah. Not a lot happens. They're basically setting up the story. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Right. And I, I felt the same way, Wayne. This was the first book I read. Because I was like, let me get this out of the way, and then I can get to my to my good titles. And I enjoyed it, and I was like, I was like, wow, like, is that my book of the week? And I'm like, yeah, it's the first issue, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then once I read everything else, I was like, no, yeah, no, that's it. <laughs> um, yeah. Just, I mean, all right, like, I, I assume we're all fans of Kevin Smith. Yes, sir. Uh, I I had never yeah. uh, read a a book that he had written, uh, so I, I was pleasantly surprised uh, on how enjoyable it was. And uh, but I think what outshines the writing is this artwork. Were you guys not blown away by the artwork? Because I was not expecting something that good. It, it was very nice. Actually, I really did dig the artwork. Same here. I was really blown away with at least the the first half of it, where you've got the original Green Arrow. Mm-hmm. Seeing him move on here, the the art is just beautiful. I, you, you know, Green Arrow. <laughs> too many Green characters this week. You know what? This is our St. Patrick's Day episode. <laughs> <laughs> there were some choices in the artwork that I didn't care for, but uh, on the whole. I did enjoy the artwork, but like there's, there's some very, besides Mr. Picky. Well, you know, in the big fight scene in the, uh, in the warehouse where, uh, Green Hornet and Kato are beating up all the mobsters there in particular, there is one panel where, uh, Kato is, you know, kicking the tar out of somebody. It shows him as a silhouette and his legs are longer than his entire body. You know, and they're just, they're it is so hyper stylized it just looks a little clownish to me um and there were a couple of scenes like that in the book that i just i I didn't care for how stylized some of the artwork was but i did enjoy the artwork and and in particular i thought the coloring on it was was really really nice um now see i'd love to see this artist do some batman stuff because when i see uh green hornet here in the rafters just kind of perched and looking down I think that our that our style would work really well for Batman. Oh yeah, I think it would work well for the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another character with a trench coat. I would sure. go with a little less green if you. <laughs> <had> Batman. <laughs> now, I, one thing that but, uh, I I thought was interesting about the book is all the advertisements for all of the other Green Hornet books that are coming out. Uh, you know, like you I had. Know, I was going to mention that. that. You know, you've got Green Hornet Strikes Number One by Brett Matthews. You've got, you know, uh, Cato uh, Number One. You know, who is the Black Hornet? You've got, I know there's a Green Hornet Year One. Yeah, and I mean, I I I think that's a mistake. Oh, Cato Origins. (laughs) You know, I mean, Origins, and I think there's actually one more, isn't there? No, that's that's it. Only only five monthly Green Hornet titles. I think that's a mistake. Yeah, Diamond is really trying to 
Simon is really trying to capitalize on the press they're getting from this launch, but I'm not going to be picking up all those other titles. Even no. even the Cato one that's supposed to be a spinoff of this Green Hornet, because the others seem to be either the original Green Hornet or they could be a different continuity from this based on the ads. Yeah, I um, I I, I liked this book, and you know, coming from I guess the only Green Hornet fanboy on the show. Uh, I actually, I think being such a big fanboy of Green Hornet actually took away from my enjoyment of the book. Oh, really? Um, it did. You know, I, I, because, you know, Kevin Smith writes a certain way, you know, he writes dirty jokes, you know, he throws in some racial slurs, things like that. And that's just not what I'm used to seeing from a Green Hornet book. Right. So, you know, that took away from my enjoyment of the book a little bit. But, you know, at the same time, it's a modern take. You know, you, you have to move past it, you know, if you really enjoy the character, you know. And I, I did enjoy the book. Um, but, you know, I, I think flooding the market with five different Green Hornet books within a matter of a couple of months of each other yeah. is, a, is a bit too much. Oh, yeah. I think it's a huge mistake. You know, Paul, I wonder if that's why they're doing – I wonder if the fact that it's Kevin Smith writing is why they did the – this is the son of Green Hornet type thing. That way they have the old Green Hornet that's not touched by, uh, you know, by Kevin Smith's writing style, which doesn't fit with the original Green Hornet. And they introduced a younger version that, you know, will flow better for him. Yeah, but I'm, I'm venturing to, uh, I'm a little concerned. Am I going to see some of my original Green Hornet? You know, because I've got, you've got the Green Hornet by Kevin Smith. You've got Kevin Smith's Cato, which is obviously the same story. Or you know the same universe, the Green Hornet Strikes, which is the Green Hornet of the future. <laughs> um, I- I'm guessing the Green Hornet Year One is probably where I'm going to find some of the Green Hornet stuff that I'm looking for, um, which is great because it's written by uh, and cover art by Matt Wagner, who I'm a big fan of. So I'm I'm actually looking forward to that one. I will probably pick up Green Hornet Year One. What's well, kind of funny was, is they're doing a Cato Origins. It's kind of funny. They're doing a Kato Origins for both Kato's, both the original and for this one. There's two separate ads out there for Kato Origins. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah I, I, but, you know, it, 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 I enjoyed it. I, I really did. And this is coming, again, from someone who is a Green Hornet fanboy. I, I think it's a fun book. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's very Kevin Smithy. If you've read any of Kevin Smith's comic work, mm-hmm. I think the only book that that kind of was different than the rest of his other stuff was his uh, first Daredevil run. I think that was a little different than some of the other stuff he's written. But since then, they've all had a similar feel. Yeah, he's, uh, he's got was- some good snappy dialogue in this book, um, but it's not too talky. I mean, I, I found uh, his Daredevil book to be entirely too talky. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I think that was his first comic book, mm-hmm. too. So Agreed. So I was telling my wife about this book and I was showing it to her and uh, her the first thing she said was, did they lock him in a room and make him write the whole first arc? Like, no, I, I don't think so. She's like, okay, I want to read it, but I'm not going to touch it till after the first arc is done. Because she was into the Spider-Man Black Cat. <laughs> and it started to come out. And then we have the two and a half to three year pause in the middle. Yeah. At this point, as much as she loved his writing in Green Arrow... As much as she liked that, she won't touch anything Kevin Smith does comic-wise until it's collected because 
she just doesn't want to go through that again of enjoying the story. And then two, three years later, trying to figure out what what had just happened, because you don't remember reading it that far back. Your wife well, is much be more wise than the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Um, let's be honest about this book. This book is ghostwritten by Phil Hester. Okay. This is Kevin Smith's script for his Green Hornet movie. I guarantee he didn't write the comic book. The breakdowns are by Phil Hester, what, and he, who's also a writer. I think he took Kevin Smith's Green Hornet script and laid it out as a comic book for Jonathan Lau to, to do the art. I totally think that's what's happened here. I, I would guarantee that Kevin Smith did not write this in the comic book form. Well, thanks for bringing it down, Paul. <laughs> it's true. Look at the first page. It doesn't say story by Kevin Smith. It says script by Kevin Smith. And we know this is based on his script. This is, I yeah. guarantee you that's what they did. You know, that's why you bring in someone like Phil Hester. You know, and I'm fine with that because if he fully wrote the script, then we know we're not going to have a huge pause. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think we, I think, I don't think we're going to see the delays that we would normally see from a Kevin Smith written comic book. Yeah. 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 So, uh, Green Hornet number one, who's going to be on board for number two? I definitely will be. I'm on board for the first issue of every damn Green Hornet book they put out. <laughs> and at least the second issue of this one. <laughs> okay. So- <laughs> yeah. Jonathan, are you? Whatever. I'm a- I will. Okay. I will buy issue two. <laughs> <laughs> All Aaron, right. Are you on board for issue two? I think I am. I think I am. I mean, I, I did enjoy this and I'm curious to see where it goes. I am very concerned at how much they're diluting uh, the Green, Horn- Green Hornet uh, uh, universe with all the other titles. Uh, I think it's easy to get lost amongst all those other titles and, and to figure out, you know, which which one am I reading? You know, I think that that, yeah. that asks a lot of the reader to understand the difference between all the different Green Hornet titles. Um so, you know, fortunately, uh, I, I, I'm into the comic book thing a little bit. So, you know, hopefully I'll be able to make that distinction. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Even though you think I'm a sucker for picking up all those Green Hornet books, you and Wayne picked up some Ultimate books. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, true. Yeah, I guess I don't have any room to talk, do I? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, Ultimate Adventures number five. Um, you, you and uh, Jonathan jumped off this title, I think, at issue two. Is that right? Yes, I uh, did. I, I think Jonathan might have lasted one more than me. Uh, I I have been enjoying Ultimate Avengers. I've not had the problem with it that you guys had. And I've enjoyed this issue as well. I don't think it's a great book, um, but I, I I have been enjoying this. Now, I, I, I'll let Wayne, before I continue sandbagging it, <laughs> uh, uh, Wayne? Yeah. <laughs> uh. It was better than some of the previous ones, but still, I don't know why I keep buying this other than I'm a completionist and I want to finish the arc. I have the pet peeve, too, of uh, the new Ultimates that we're going to talk about in a few minutes here came out the same week Mm -hmm. that takes place after this, which isn't done yet. There's still one more issue left to this. Yeah. Um, 
Smart Hulk is bothering me. I loved <laughs> the professor back in uh, Peter David's run of Hulk. So this, I don't even know what to call him, but puking Hulk is not something I, I care to see. I did get a kick out of JFK being killed by uh, Red Skull. I just want everyone to, to, to have heard that Wayne said he got a kick out of JFK being killed. By Red Skull. Uh, <laughs> it's not how it'll appear in editing. Uh, <laughs> you know, speaking of babies being killed, this is at least the third book this week that had dead babies in it. Yeah, yeah. This way, I, I thought the scene at the beginning of the book that you're referring to uh, with the Red Skull and you know, gun to baby's head and making the woman you know choose between her the the baby's father and the baby. Uh, I, I thought, thought that, that was actually powerful. Oh, that was a great scene. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff that, that uh, Mark Millar writes really well. Um, I do think he's a little bit off the rails on on this book. Um, it, it's just – it doesn't it doesn't feel appropriate to the universe for me. Um, and, yeah. and don't get me wrong. I'm enjoying the book. I'm not loving the book. Um, but, you know, th- this is one of those situations where uh, – uh, I, I could go either way. And it was, it was basically, had this been a busier week, uh, comic book wise, probably wouldn't have picked it up. Yeah. I gotta say that scene in the beginning, you're right. That was incredibly powerful. Yeah. And it made me actually care about that wasp character that I was just writing off before now. Yeah. I'd be curious to see if they're going to bring her back at any point, but I, you know, we'll see what happens with issue six. We haven't seen her in uh, new ultimate. So Maybe she won't survive, but yeah, that scene of choosing between either of them and then losing them both and basically being, you know, tortured the whole night through. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, I, I enjoyed it. And I, I did also kind of get a kick out of the fact that, uh, you know, <laughs> Captain America is being held by, uh, by, uh, the French. And so, you know, the ultimate universe, Captain America has been rather critical of the French, <laughs> And so these, you know, these, these French guards are, you know, kind of giving him hell. Like, you know, we hear you like to laugh at the French captain, uh, to make fun of our war record and this bizarre reputation we seem to have for giving up without a fight. You know, has he never heard of the French resistance? Lafayette, Charles de Gaulle, um, Marshal Leclerc, you know, and they're, they're going on and on and kind of giving, you know, Captain a hard, Captain America a hard time. And then of course, the next thing you know, Captain America has slipped his handcuffs and is handing them their asses. Yeah, I like that they didn't bother with any apologizing for that. It's just yeah. the uh, oh, and immediately let them rant, so they just beat them all up. Well, and then they immediately surrender. That's what cracked me up. <laughs> <laughs> Please, we surrender. <laughs> so politically incorrect. Oh, absolutely, so absolutely. I, I thought that was speaking kind of, of uh, political incorrectness. We've been talking a lot about uh, dead babies, babies being killed, and stuff. And I and do midgets, think don't midgets. and midgets. I, I do think we need to be more politically correct when it comes to uh, murder and use the correct euphemism post-term abortion. <laughs> oh, God. oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> um, I, so I, I don't think this this book is the worst Ultimates book out there. Um <laughs> And it may actually be the best ultimate book out there. It's not the best comic book out there, but it may be the best ultimate book out there being printed at this very moment. Now, no, I give that to Ultimate Enemy still. 
Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I forgot about Ultimate Alien. Okay. Second best. Or second least worst. <laughs> it first loser. Of, yeah, it's the top <laughs> of the pile of crap. Now, for a real steaming turd, you have to read New Ultimates Number 1 by Jeff Loeb. This book was terrible. Terrible. Um, I, I cannot get over how badly written this book was, how poorly conceived this book was. Uh, this thing was just awful. Wayne? <laughs> well, I like the art. Oh, yeah, the art was outstanding. But that's like saying, I, I don't know, it's an ultimate book. It's going to have good art. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's just kind of a given. Uh, I didn't hate it as much as you did, but I didn't enjoy it either. Well, you know, yeah. I was still angry as I read through that this is again taking place after a miniseries that's not finished yet. Yeah. And Marvel's doing this continually over and over and over again. Uh, I do like the Defenders characters, the original Marvel ones. Mm -hmm. I don't like these Defenders. I didn't like them the first time they came through in Ultimate. Yeah. And I don't like them now that they have powers. I did enjoy the conversation between uh, uh, Hawkeye and Tony in the beginning, though. I thought there was some good dialogue there, and that's about the only good thing I have to say about it. Well, and, you know, the sad thing about that is that if you read any of the previews, you know, you'd already seen it before uh, before you picked it up. Now, I had read the previews because I hadn't planned on picking up the book. And so having read the preview, I'm like, okay, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, not quite so on Jeff Loeb these days, but, uh, you know, the, the, the preview struck my fancy. So picked it up. I didn't care for the appearance of the, of these defenders. I certainly didn't care for, uh, how they drew, uh, Tigra in this book or Hellcat. I'm sorry. Um, what about the topless Hella? Now, you know, I gotta say, you know, topless Hella was all right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're going to have to, uh, you know, have sex with the goddess of death, hello is going to be the goddess of death that you want to have, have the sex with. That's what I'm saying. Um, I, this book just was not good. It just was not good. Um, I, 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 I the, uh, uh, there was so much, I, I felt like there was a lot of awkwardness in the book. Um, I, I didn't quite feel like the characters were, were, were sinking, you know, that the dialogue between the, the, the characters was working out well. Um, I felt like they just kind of started throwing crap at you at the end. Um, I just didn't, I didn't care for it. I didn't care for it. I will not be picking up issue two. I probably will. Cause I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> uh, that said, I mean, the, the Cho artwork is very nice for the most part. Um, what did you think of the great big, uh, fold out cover? I didn't like that. I, I mean, the art, there's nothing wrong with the art on it, but I never have like the multi-panel fold out if there's no purpose for it. Yeah. And just one page of these Asgardian creatures or whatever, wherever they're supposed to be from one page would have been good enough. Yeah. You don't need. I wasn't real sure of, you know, what the point of that big fold out cover was coming in because it wasn't yeah. like you needed to, to share, you know, the great big Avengers roster or ultimates roster. Yeah. It's not like there's different characters on each page. I mean, yeah, it's just a bunch of trolls. Two page, yeah. 
It's two pages worth of just trolls. Yeah. I did like the 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 uh close to the center where you know you've got Thor down in, in the land of the dead, uh, with all the skulls at his feet and him kind of sitting on a on a, a throne of uh of, of bones. I thought that was a nice picture. And of course I did like the Topless Hella picture. But beyond that, I mean I just really lich, did not care for this book. So and I think this takes us to what if we were writing the ultimates. Uh, and I think we kind of take that from kind of a, a, a universe level approach as well as maybe a specific title approach. But the, the problem that I have with both new, new ultimates and the ultimate Avengers is that they recycle stories from the regular Marvel universe. Like for instance, in uh, ultimate Avengers, you've got red skull going after the cosmic cube. And one of the things that I enjoyed about the, the first two parts of the ultimates was that it took, you know, characters, you know, what if these superheroes were kind of in a real world setting, what would it be like today? If the Marvel universe was happening today in our world, in a more jaded, uh, darker, mature level uh, world. And that's what I liked about the ultimate Avengers is that it, 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 you know, in that first part, you had Iron Man having a whole crew of people who had to help load him up into his Iron Man suit, you know, and it was so complex that, you know, if he had a a breakdown, he wasn't just going to be able to fix it immediately. He had to have a whole crew of people helping him fix his Iron Man suit. And I really liked that. I liked that, you know, he was more in a battle mech than he was, you know, in this, you know, hyper sophisticated, uh, lean, uh, nano kind of suit. And the new story versus old is an interesting take because it worked over in Spider-Man and it worked in X-Men. They were able to do the old story successfully that Ultimates just can't seem to do. Well, and I, I don't know that we need to recycle all these old stories. I, 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 I think Red Skull is, a, is an intriguing character. I don't think you have to throw the cosmic cube into this universe. Because, you know, if you're continuing to use those other story devices, all you're doing is creating a parallel universe that is too closely paralleled, in my opinion, to the universe you've got. You know, one of my complaints about Captain America Reborn first issue was that the way that that universe was depicted there looked too much like the ultimates. And I really think that the ultimates needs to, to have a distinct universe of its own. And I think they've done that to some, some degree, but the more they make it more like the regular Marvel, U, the less reason you have for the ultimate universe. I disagree. Uh, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I, I know exactly what Wayne's saying. You know, the way uh, Ultimate Spider-Man was able to uh, recycle old storylines, but do it in a way where small tweaks were made and there were twists in the story, things that, you know, didn't originally happen, uh, that completely changes the story. And I think that's that's the way to do it because in the end you don't end up with uh, something parallel. You you know, it's it is a different story. You know because like let let's face it, like comic book writers are having such a hard time coming up with new good ideas. <laughs> <laughs> 
or or for that matter, new original characters. When was the last time a brand new character was made? You know, I'd say within the last ten years that was good. Hey, we just Can talked about it. There's Black Hornets coming up. <laughs> <laughs> and Hawk no, but- Carnage. <laughs> no, but seriously. Your demon was good. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. No one reads that book. <laughs> Wayne and I do. <laughs> yeah, but you and Wayne also read the Ultimates. Come on now. <laughs> I think we lost our credibility with this episode, huh? Completely, what do you think? <laughs> completely. Between me buying six damn Green Hornet books and the Ultimates. But, you know, I, I was thinking about this the other day. You know, what if I was writing the Ultimate Universe? And the main problem with the Ultimate Universe is that right now it's inaccessible to new readers. You know, if I want to get caught up on Amazing Spider-Man or Ultimate Spider-Man continuity, I have to buy 12 freaking trade paperbacks to, to know what the hell's going on in the newest issue of Ultimate Spider-Man. You know, so I was thinking that the the best way to do the Ultimate Universe would be similar to what DC's doing with their upcoming Year One um, or Earth One stuff. Um, maybe not exactly graphic novels, um, you know, a series of graphic novels, but I'm thinking, you know, maybe almost applying the tropes of television to something like the Ultimate Universe, um, like. 12 issues or between six and 12 issues. And then it takes a break for a couple of months, you know, like off season. And then it comes back with another six to 12 issues, maybe with the same team instead of having to switch teams because of, you know, slow art and things like that. Um, You know, you, you have TV seasons, but comic book seasons. And I think that would be more accessible to new readers Mm -hmm. because, you know, you wouldn't have six years of comic books, you know, all in a row. You'd have, you know, a couple of months of comic books and then it would take a break. And if someone were to jump in with season two, just like with a television season, they could buy a season one trade paperback. Sure. And, and I think for something like the ultimate universe, I mean, that's not going to work for the main for most main monthly uh, continuity books. But for something like the ultimate universe, which is meant to be new reader friendly for, you know, new people to come in and not have to deal with 60 years of continuity. Um, I, I think that's probably the perfect way to, to, to keep that going. Well, I think what the ultimate universe, there are a couple of places where I think the ultimate universe does a really good job and, and where I think they do a good job is where they make a big distinction between the characters in Marvel universe versus ultimate universe. And where I see that is really key in fantastic four. You know, in the regular Marvel Universe, the Fantastic Four has been around forever. Reed Richards is significantly older than the rest of the team. You know, he, uh, while not as wise as he ought to be, is, you know, crazy smart, usually makes pretty good decisions. Whereas in the Ultimate Universe, they're all young. You know, they're all 18 years old or younger. Um, Reed Richards is exactly the same age as the rest of them, you know, and has no wisdom. And he's all, you know, this idea is the best idea, you know, until it falls horribly wrong. 
Um, I like that distinction. I like that, that there is a, a very unique Fantastic Four in the Ultimate Universe and a very unique Fantastic Four in the Marvel Universe. Where I don't see a lot of that distinction is in characters like Captain America. You know, uh, the only the only real distinction between the uh, Captain America in the Marvel Universe versus the Captain America in the Ultimate Universe is that Marvel Universe Cap is a lot more noble. Whereas you know- I'm sorry, I noticed a big I noticed a big difference when they first started doing Ultimates though with Captain America. When they originally did the first Ultimates, that Captain America was very different than what was at the Marvel Universe at the time. But Brubaker, as he's writing the regular Marvel Cap, has turned him more into the Ultimate One. Mm-hmm. I've seen that Cap go from this noble pinnacle, and he still is, you know, a more noble character, more more of a you know up on a pedestal type character. But he's gone from being that. He's gotten a little bit more dirty under Brubaker's run, which I've enjoyed quite a bit. But it has seemed to turn him more into the ultimate cap, a darker cap, except the ultimate one's willing to kill and the regular Marvel one still isn't. Yeah, I I, I, uh, I, I like the when there is a big distinction. I mean, you know. Big distinction between you know the Nick Fury of the Ultimate Universe and Nick Fury of the Marvel Universe. You know, I like. Oh, re- big distinction! You've got David Hasselhoff versus Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, you know, that's a big yeah. distinction. Uh, I, where you know, I speaking did- of distinctions, one of my pet peeves with the what they've done with the Ultimates was I think they did an Ultimates three. They might have done an Ultimates two, but when they changed Thor's hammer from the basically the axe-ish hammer. Yeah. To look more like the regular Marvel Universe one. Yeah. I, I liked like it being different. I like the costume being different. I, I, I am actually a little disappointed that they cleared up some of the amb- ambiguity about his, de- uh, his godhood, you know, because I really liked it where, you know, he's kind of a nut job. He thinks he's a god. I liked that part. Oh, I, that thought that, one of the- I thought that story was awesome. Yeah. When I, I love yeah, that. That was going to be one of the things I mentioned with what I would do with the Ultimates is I missed that. I missed the. Everyone thinking he's just crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, the, the first two volumes of the Ultimates was just outstanding, um, and they really were. Yeah, I mean, I, I, some of the some of the best comics to come out. And you know, uh, uh, Jonathan was was going. Well, what was the last really original idea you've seen? That may have been one of them. You know, Ultimates one and Ultimates two were just so supremely strong in the way they told stories. Uh, on on characters that you thought you knew, I miss that. I miss you know the 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 realism. I miss you know wondering what the hell's going to happen next versus going oh god what's going to happen next <laughs> you know. And I, I think the one of the biggest problems in the Ultimate Universe, and you know I, I, this isn't going to come as any surprise to anybody, is Jeff Loeb. I don't know. I don't know why they brought him back for new Ultimates when he made such a mess of things in Ultimatum. Well, and I'd venture to say this too, and I know people are going to disagree with me. I'm already disagreeing with you. You are already disagreeing with yeah. me. Um, Bendis. I, I, I think Bendis is so intricate to the regular Marvel universe, mm-hmm. to the real Marvel U, that um, having him ingrained in the Ultimate Universe, you're, you're either getting too many similarities you know, with the regular Marvel U or, you know, the stories aren't as good because, I don't know, maybe he's just writing too many books. I don't know. 
Yeah. Um, but his ultimate output is nowhere near as good as some of his Marvel output, which has, again, been suffering as of lately based on our conversations about New Avengers. Well, and, I think – And I, I agree with you, Paul. Uh, and I think that Bendis should get away from the regular Marvel U and hand it over to Fraction, the new Marvel guy. Bendis just needs to be the ultimate guy. Yeah, I think Bendis needs to return and clean up Ultimate Universe. Yeah. So around the table, you know, if you could change one thing in the Ultimate Universe, what would you change right now, Wayne? I would put Cho on artwork on Ultimate Spider-Man because I hate the artwork on Ultimate Spider-Man. Basically, I would just change the creative team on Ultimate Spider-Man. I think it's the title that could be salvaged out of what's left out there. Yeah. Jonathan? I would restart it. And just wipe out previous continuity, or what would you do? Yeah. Yeah, I would I would restart the... I mean, I you could call it something different, whatever you do, but the Ultimate Universe would go away. Something new would take its place with the, with a uh, similar theme and and wind to get in new readers and I would uh, I would launch all the major stuff, you know, Avengers, X Men, Spider Man, Fantastic Four, you know, Hulk. You you launch those those main titles, the 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 stuff that the movie watchers are going to come pick up. Mm-hmm. Paul. Uh, Jonathan took my answer a little bit. Damn you. <laughs> um, I would. I, I would restart it. At this point, the Ultimate Universe, you know, we were so hyped about Ultimate Comics because we thought Ultimatum was ending a storyline. I mean, how often do we get an end to, to, to a Spider-Man book, an actual end to the Spider-Man saga, an end to the X-Men saga or the Fantastic Four story, you know? And we didn't. We didn't get any of that. And in fact, most of the shit that happened during Ultimatum has already been retrograded because the Daily Bugle's back and New York City is being rebuilt and all that crap that happened during Ultimatum. Half of the characters that died are back mm-hmm. already, you know? Just, you know, the, the whole point of the Ultimate Universe was that anything could happen. Well, start fresh. Because at this point, it's not fresh. It's, it's, to me, actually, the Ultimate Universe is even more inaccessible than the regular Marvel Universe because you could pick up, uh, you know, a regular Marvel Universe comic book and, you know, know who Spider-Man is, you know, know vaguely what happened with Gwen Stacy or, you know, Mary Jane or any of that stuff. And you'll be okay. You pick up an ultimate Spider-Man or an, or any of the ultimate books, you're going to be like, wait, Red Skull is Captain America's son. Johnny Storm's living with, with Aunt May. It's it's not accessible to that movie audience that it was built for in the first place. Right. It's totally inaccessible yeah. to that audience because it's so different from regular continuity. Um, so I, I think it just needs to start fresh. And, you know, I'm not ready to throw the whole thing out myself because the history for Ultimate Spider-Man is good. Because you're still buying it. <laughs> like, the history of Ultimate Spider-Man is good, and I don't want to see all of that thrown away. I do want to see the current storyline scrapped, though. I mean, he shouldn't have a – basically, it's becoming a team book, which is getting ridiculous. But I'd like to see a solo book for Spider-Woman over there because I really like the character. And so far, they haven't put her in anything that I've hated yet. Yet. 
I'd love to see her have a miniseries. You know, I'd like to see Spider-Man get stripped back to its basics, get rid of the whole team mentality, kick out Iceman and uh, and Johnny Storm from the house. And honestly, as much as I like Kitty when they were when she first came in over there, get rid of her too. It's just too much support. Spider-Man needs to be outnumbered, outmanned, the underdog. And he's not the underdog if he's leading a team. Yeah. Or at least rename the book Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Come on. <laughs> that that title's taken. <laughs> True. Well, well and, what about you, Aaron? Well, and, and I'm in agreement with you and Jonathan. I, I, I think it needs a reboot. I think it you, you I think you actually do something definitive, blow up the whole universe. Let it lie fallow a little bit and then come back with something fresh. And my criteria for that would be that, that, you know, you, you need the similar heroes. You know, you need the Avengers, you need the X Men, you need Spider Man. Uh, but the, there should only be a vague similarity that the heroes should be unique, you know? And, you know, one of my biggest complaints about Brand New Day is that you had single Spider Man over in the Ultimate Universe. You didn't have to take away Mary Jane over in the Marvel Universe. Um, so I, right now in, in, in a lot of respects, there's not a whole lot of difference between Spider-Man and ultimate universe and Spider-Man and Marvel universe, you know, other than age. You know, I'm seeing a trend and I'm seeing a trend in how Marvel does these big alternate universes. Let's look at 2099. Basically that launch and there were a lot of really good books and then it all started to go to crap. And then they did one big crossover to basically destroy the world. And then they tried to go on after that. And it, it just petered out and nothing ever happened with it because it got really bad. You mean like uh, Age of Apocalypse? MC- <laughs> <laughs> Same thing, basically. Yeah, you know? If you look at the MC2 stuff, that started off, uh, there, some of those books were actually really good. And then they did a couple of the big crossovers after they started to get bad. And then that petered off to the point that Spider-Girl doesn't even have her own book anymore. And it's, I've seen this with all of their alternate realities now that I think about it. Same thing with the Supreme Power Universe. That one, the book started to go a little downhill, then they did the big crossover. They only had one book, so they crossed over with the Ultimate Universe and poisoned both universes in the process. And now it's petered out and is dying. Crossovers think... can mean the death of a universe. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ultimate Thanos... Needs to just come in and wipe them all out. Yeah, yeah. You can have ultimate infinity gauntlet. <laughs> Kill it you know, dead. As long as I get my Spider Woman miniseries before it's done, I'll throw in on that. I'd like. I wouldn't <laughs> mind having it. I'll go away. Spider I just Woman want my Spider Woman miniseries. Ugh, lame. Well, and you know, I, I do. Think you're missing the point here, man. I think that. <laughs> I think that I would. There is no Spider Woman. <laughs> I would destroy the universe. And have the the seed of the of the uh, new universe that I wanted to create come out of that, you know, and that would be your last page showing that this new, you know, alternate universe that you're going to tell these kind of stories in emerge over there, and then go with no a whole fresh. No survivors from this universe, though. Exactly about that. Exactly because we saw that we saw that with yet another alternate reality, the yeah. Heroes Reborn universe. Yeah, and that this one, yeah, same same thing. It, Started. It actually didn't start so great, but it went pretty bad. They had a big, big crossover, and then it petered out. But they kept it going by bringing their that Earth over into the regular Marvel universe. 
big mistake and any characters that survived that shouldn't have. Well, and here's my key change for the new ultimate like universe. After we destroy the ultimate universe and we move into the, the new ultimate universe key change, Nick Fury midget. <laughs> Korean <That's>... midget. <laughs> no, I, I'm going to go one up on you, Aaron. Mary Jane midget. <laughs> I like it. One thing Wayne said is he likes the fact that Spider-Man, you know, he, he likes the continuity of that ultimate Spider-Man. I would venture to say they had a perfect opportunity to restart the ultimate universe, but with ultimate Spider-Man having uh, followed his continuity, because at the end of ultimatum, he disappeared. I don't think that storyline has ever been resolved. He could have appeared in another alternate universe. You know, that way he brings with him his previous continuity, but everything else starts fresh. Yeah. That way you yeah, have that one plot thread. I typically don't like to go in from one universe to the other. The only exception was I did like when they did that with X-Man, which I know Jonathan didn't like that. But for the most part, if they survive one universe to bounce to the other, it usually ends up being bad. Sure. Well, then just kill them all. Well, I think there's an exception to that as well. When the Marvel Zombies first appeared in Ultimate Fantastic Four, I really enjoyed that that story arc. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know... I didn't think that Marvel Zombies was going to take off like it did and start polluting things on its own. But, you know. Yeah, that was a I great enjoyed. arc. I remember that, too. Was, and that's why I was so frustrated with having uh, you know, the Deadpool's head show up in the regular Marvel Universe because now the oh, two are God. tied together and I don't want any connection between regular Marvel Universe and Ultimate. I don't want there to ever be a possibility of a crossover. There wouldn't be if they were all dead. Just saying. <laughs> That's true. That was the other, the Supreme Power crossover. I enjoyed that universe too, and I didn't want there to ever be a crossover, and they polluted both universes in the process. Well, any final words on uh, uh, what if we were writing the Ultimate Universe? Other than kill them all? Kill them all. Kill them all! Kill them all. Well, Paul, we got any business on the website this week? We have a ton of business on the website this week. Um, do we? Uh, I don't think so. Well, I, uh, I'll, I'll be at uh, Fear the Con. Yeah, uh, see, that's st- big. Starting uh, this Thursday, and we'll be live blogging the event. Uh, uh, we'll, Wayne and uh, Jonathan will be there, and uh, we'll, be, we'll be sharing uh, beer and wings on Thursday and uh, gaming on Friday and Saturday. It's going to be big fun. And, and lots sharing of- women on Saturday night? Well, not just Saturday night. but uh it's it's gonna be a big time and uh, there'll be a lot of fresh content on the blog for you to look at and uh, might even capture some sound for the podcast so uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun um also uh a podcast that i recorded at gen con uh back in august uh just released this week and so i'll put a link to that in the show notes show notes and it's a little bit about uh you know the behind the scenes stuff of podcasting, uh, building community, etc. So uh, I was tickled because in their show notes they described me as a podcast veteran, and that tickled me to no end. <laughs> <laughs> I I survived the podcast wars. <laughs> was that a nice way to call you old though? That must be, yeah. 
Yeah. And you know what? Aaron, if you're a podcast veteran, then that means I'm getting close to retirement. Oh, I know. I, you know, because I think at the, at the time, uh, we had released 15 episodes or something. <laughs> so it kind of cracks me up. Well, good show, guys. And uh, uh, everybody, t- uh, keep an eye on the blog. Lots of Fear the Con content coming up. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. <laughs>